What is up, you guys? Welcome to 10 Pin Life podcast number 14, featuring Chad Murphy, the executive director of USBC. In this conversation, Chad and I focus a little bit about him and his story in bowling, because I think one of the things that creates the most conflict within our sport is people just not understanding him as a person, as well as his story on how he got to the position of executive director of USBC, but then also dive into some of the more recent decisions, one to ban the storm bowling balls from nationals and national competition, uh, but also to dive into some of the decisions about the Open Championship that I voiced my own opinions about, as well as some other really cool stuff. So I I hope you guys like it. Before we jump into it, make sure you scroll down, hit that subscribe button, follow the podcast, give it a five-star rating, like the video, share it with your friends, all that sort of stuff. But that's enough out of me. Welcome to 10 Pin Life Podcast, episode 14 with Chad Murphy. You guys wouldn't believe this room before it was the studio. It was filled with um, uh, all the um, historical VHS tapes, all the all shows from back, yep. and so they're being digitized. But you could walk in here and just feel the history mm -hmm. uh, of all of the, all going all the way back, Team Challenge shows, you think about USAMs from back, they were all uh, housed in this room. Mm -hmm. uh, it was one of those kind of funny things. Yeah. Bowling is so much more than what we see for a couple hours on Sundays. Mm -hmm. There's so many things that happen in this sport and specifically in this building as we're in the USBC headquarters and in BPAA and everybody else that's in here that make this wheel spin that those stories don't get told um so that's the whole point it is to just give people the opportunity who love our sport the opportunity to love it more is the, really what i'm kind of wanting to do so uh chad murphy thank you very much for hanging out and uh doing this with us thank you so much for everything yesterday and uh letting us walk around and do some stuff and um, and honestly, for the invite, I'm honored to be here. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, obviously, you know, there's so much, you know, that you guys got to see yesterday. I mm hope -hmm. you enjoyed it. Um, mm -hmm. Appreciate what you're trying to do and telling the stories, you know, kind of behind bowling. Uh, there's always, you know, the score is always great. And there's mm -hmm. always a winner, but how they get there. And yep. I think that's, that's part of what you're doing. So I think it's wonderful. Thank you. So um, you are one of the most targeted guys in the sport bowl. <laughs> Let's keep that one nice and simple, right? You are, you are executive director here at the USBC. Um, you're the you're the face of of the entity. Um, you're the guy that's always out. Uh, you know, you're making the statements. You're the one that's kind of taking the punches, if you will. Um, and in, in when we met in Ohio, uh, this is a story that I've told a couple people, but I have not told the Ten Pin Life audiences. You know, when I came up to you and we were in Ohio, the, the goal was basically to tell you, like, I know that there's a part of this that's missing. Like, there's something about the, the circles that I walk in and how a lot of the um, commentary or just dialogue is pretty negative. And I'm like, but everybody that I talk to this week when I'm here at the TOC and, and in the PBA Hall of Fame induction ceremonialist, it's all positive. So I'm like, there's a mismatch here. So what I wanted to do is kind of start from square one, because when you were brought in as interim executive director and ultimately installed as permanent, uh, a lot of people were like, that's awesome. Chad's a bowler. Like we're and then something kind of happened. But let's go all the way back. Sure. We kind of got to talk about it a little bit last night, too. But uh, what is Chad Murphy's bowling story? 
Well, I, you know, that one is, you know, I think a lot of folks that we're talking about will remember that, right? I, 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 you know, I started, you know, grew up in my grandfather's bowling center. He was the GM, you know, owned up a small piece of the center. Uh, grew up in a family of bowlers. Um, you know, my cousin Lonnie's got PBA titles. My brother, you know, collegiate All-American. Uh, Mishka, my cousin, uh, was a junior Team USA member, and then everybody knows Brian Wallachek, mm -hmm. right, from Saginaw Valley, and then everything. But also in kind of the shadow of the Wichita State Mowing Program, uh, my uncle Paul actually uh, started that program, and then he's one of his best friends was Gordon Vatican. And so, I mean, when you put that together and you think about it, you know, bowling's just, you know, who we are. Mm -hmm. And so while this might seem like a natural fit to a lot of folks, my journey was not so much different than others, right? Um, I wanted to, you know, be a professional bowler. Uh, got into bowling amateur tournaments and then opened up a pro shop on the business side and just ended up, you know, moving towards that path on the business side, pro shops, then the manufacturing side, and then landing here. Uh, well, it wasn't a dream because I didn't know, you know, that much about what went on here, but I was consuming all the goods, right? Mm -hmm. If you think youth bowling and then how you go through that process and then was on Team USA, the Open Championships, of course, right? Which, you know, obviously I smile when I think about the Open and, and everything that goes with that. But good, but not great, uh, you know, competitive bowler. Uh, got involved on the business side and, uh, you know, was fortunate enough to, you know, kind of have some people that took an interest, uh, kind of showed me the ropes. Uh, learned a lot on that side from, you know, some folks that were outside this industry, some folks that have been inside this industry, being able to listen uh, to those folks and, and really progress. And yeah, when I got the job, everybody was like, I remember a few of the social media posts because they were just celebrating that a bowler was gonna, you know, change everything. I remember somebody coming in and saying, hey, wait a second, he's not a miracle worker. <laughs> and that was a quote that I, I always, you know, kind of gravitate to because, yeah, this job comes with a target, mm -hmm. right? It's governance, mm -hmm. right? You think about USBC, we're, we're a governing body. Right. And uh, especially, you know, nowadays, if you think about the larger world, um, you know, governance is, is divisive. Mm -hmm. uh, but for the most part, uh, it's very rewarding too. But the bowling for me and starting, you know, back at the beginning, uh, it was just so much fun. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the competitive side, you just wanted to get better. Mm -hmm. uh, and then just kind of progress through it that way. If you think about, you know, high rollers and very light uh, PBA, I got my teeth kicked in uh, by some pretty good rollers. <laughs> think about that. There's a little story about, you know, being the red leader at the US Open uh, with, with my buddy Dub Ballard. Uh, you know, coming over and explaining what Red Leader was to me, <laughs> which was kind of fun. But, uh, yeah, loved bowl. Uh, met my wife on Team USA. Uh, you know, it's just who we are. Yeah, for sure. It's it's that, and that's one of the things that I think I've noticed in all of these conversations is like the people that really just are just buried into this sport, and not in a bad way. Just like it's just who it's like you said, it's part of who we are. It comes from somewhere. Maybe we, do, maybe all of us don't know exactly where it is, but it's some of us are even just born into it, right? So you've got if, if you've got that much family that's included in it, it's like, well, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, we learned to bowl from you know my aunt Jeannie and my, my grandfather and my mom. My grandma made everybody bowl, mm -hmm. and, and so it was easy to you know get excited about going bowling. Mm -hmm. 
uh, I used to make the joke that, you know, it also gave us uh, a different perspective because we also, you know, there were no child labor laws back then. <laughs> so, you, know, you have a definite appreciation for, uh, you know, picking up the trash in front of the center, and, you know, the, running the line industry maybe before you're big enough uh, mm -hmm. to. Uh, and so that's another piece of it. Yeah. Uh, I knew how to run stops pretty early on, which mm -hmm. you know, I'm not sure I was supposed to be on that machine, but uh, hey, there was a bar return, somebody, somebody to get it done. Mm -hmm. And so that's just a whole nother piece of it, mm -hmm. right? That was fun and interesting mm -hmm. uh, and uh, just something else to learn. So you got to a point in your bowling career where you, you know, I don't know exactly what the overlap was, but at some point then you kind of referenced it, you end up at Columbia. And this was pre-purchased by Ebonite. Correct. So, um, and, and, and that's something that, at least until uh, uh, the day before Weston's speech, I personally had no idea yeah. that you did that. Yeah. Um, and I know that we tend to, uh, you, you've kind of alluded to it in some of the conversations we had, where it's like, you just don't, you know, we, let's make it with a story about bowling. But I think that that is something that, uh, when you talk about the audience of people that had your, or you had their ear, in that in that environment, you know, you've got the the um, the poster from when you had the one of the best staffs that yeah. for that one year. What was that like to a repping out when they were bowling thirty weeks out of the year and like and you you've got to cover Marshall Holman and Pete Weber on the same season and like. Yeah, that like kind of that poster is actually before me. Uh, it okay. was in the lobby at Columbia that you saw yesterday, mm -hmm. just so everybody knows what you're talking yep. about. Columbia had a staff at one time that uh, Pete Weber was on it for one year, mm -hmm. and that staff poster was on display in the lobby. Mm -hmm. And when I moved from Columbia to Ebonite, the, the owners were nice enough to give me that, that poster, yes. so it's just remained with me. Mm -hmm. But to answer your question, uh, I always tell the story, Houston and Holman came out for the uh, Tournament of Champions one year. Uh, it was my first year tour event. Uh, but that's really how I came into that piece of business. It really wasn't the, the pro shop work per se. It was, um, I was hired as a store rep. And so I spent, you know, several years out on the PBA tour, you know, helping, you know, caddy. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had some people that, you know, really helped me then. Mm -hmm. You know, I talked about Dell Ballard earlier. I told this story last night. You know, if it wasn't for Dell, I wouldn't be sitting in that seat. So really, everybody on the internet that's upset about what we're doing, you should really take it out of <laughs> Dell Ballard Jr. Because him teaching me and giving me the chops to, to be a, a, a good tour rep mm -hmm. uh, is, is what kind of, you know, catapulted me to doing other things. But I've said this a hundred times, you know. At that time, and even years afterwards, tour repping is, is uh, it's intoxicating. It was so much fun mm -hmm. uh, to be able to, you know, sit in a settee and one of the best bowlers in the world is struggling and to work that problem mm -hmm. and then see them, you know, go and be successful. Uh, it, it was just very rewarding. While at the same time, it wasn't really much about the tour rep because, you know, when they step up on that approach, they got to make a shot. Mm -hmm. And in, in a lot of cases, especially when you get to the TV shows, that, that's not an easy thing to do. Right. And so uh, it was just a lot of fun, both men and women. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, from there, moving in the office, getting into product development, doing some of those other things, it, it just progressed. I started traveling in the field, uh, going pro shop to pro shop, mm -hmm. um, you know, selling the balls. I uh, expanded from there to, you know, brand management. I started traveling internationally, so into Asia and, you know, learning a lot of new things uh, in doing that, meeting new people and, and understanding 
Uh, but, you know, through that whole process, just, you know, trying to improve and, and, and find ways to, to think about ways. But there was always kind of this piece of me that wanted bowling to thrive. Mm -hmm. But I never looked at it as something I was supposed to be working on mm -hmm. uh, until I, you know, got asked to, you know, hey, would you be interested in, in coming to the campus? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, yeah, then you get invited to the campus. Uh, and I, I, that process, um, again, this is another one of those things that it's, it's a part of the story that I didn't know. Um, I think I know more now than I did ever before, but it's also because of the fact that I, I'm a more involved consumer in the world of bowling than I think most people are. It's like, well, let's, let's see if we can spread that story out a little bit more because I think, uh, it, it you're somebody who sits in the chair that has the biggest target on its back, but it's not because you're sitting there because it's an unearned spot, right? And, and I think that's the narrative that is going on that is so divisive is, is the question of, well, why is he even there, right? Which, how, that's the, the, really that's the question that I wanna answer is, why are you here? Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think if you look at the progression and you think about, you know, my history and experience in the in the sport, you know, childhood in the bowling center, competing, um, opened up a pro shop, opened up another one, ended up tour repping. So I've been able to see that product development business side. You think about forecasting for you know the amount of SKUs that a, a consumer products group has to do. It's it's impressive for. All all of the manufacturers and the way they do it. But landing here was just uh, odd. Uh, and some people know the story and some people don't, but my, my son was bowling in a, in a youth bowling league. And again, my wife, lifetime bowler, she's still very competitive today. Uh, and he turns around, he's playing all of these sports and he says, dad, I, I don't, I don't want to bowl anymore. And um, my first reaction to that was to, you know, turn and look at my wife and can he do that? I mean, is that even, is this an optional program, right? And so then we started asking him, I'm not getting any better. And then we looked around and that program on Saturday morning and we weren't teaching him, we were expecting, you know, something there. And, um, and so I sent an email the next day to some folks down here mm -hmm. and I started asking some questions. Mm -hmm. uh, they invited me to come uh, be a part of a, a you know, youth bowling day, if you will, where there were youth uh, program directors from all over the country uh, downstairs in a meeting room. And um, I sat there for a while and, you know, in a lot of cases there were these reasons why we, we, we couldn't, you know, do things and in and, and some cases where we tried things and they didn't work where I, I believed at that point in time it was all about, you know, somebody wanting to get better because that was, you know, kind of my son's experience. And so, I, you know, I got asked the question, you know, but I don't know, hey, we've invited you down here, you haven't said anything. I was like, well, I, I, I'm not sure what to say because I don't run a youth bowling program. But mm -hmm. if I did, it would be all about skill instruction. It would all be about them having fun and using the competitive to drive them to be aspirational within it. And it was, you know, this like watershed uh, for me, not necessarily for the group, right? Because they're doing the work all day long, mm -hmm. uh, you know, weeks and months out of the year. And some of the folks that I'm working with today were in that room, right? And so, um, Got offered an opportunity to come down. Uh, didn't gravitate to it initially because uh, you know I had plans, you know, on the on the ball side. Uh, but then I 
my wife and I had a conversation. I was like, okay, well, if, if this is going to change or if things are going to get better, you know, whose responsibility is it? I, I just came to the to the conclusion that it was all of ours. You know, just working in the ball business or, or working in a pro shop or working in a bowling center, uh, you know, doesn't give you any less of a responsibility to try to grow bowling. Uh, and so I came in as the BPA youth director and, um, at that point in time, it was so much fun while chaotic at the time, and we ended up putting the two youth departments uh, through some good, you know, leadership here at the campus uh, together. Instead of having BPA and USBC operate separately, uh, we combined them. I was lucky enough to, you know, lead that effort. And uh, if you think about some of the things that we did in that period of time, that we were fairly successful with growing junior gold, you know, mm -hmm. being one of them, mm -hmm. making some significant changes to Pepsi championships. We had uh, some pretty significant uh, league programs uh, mm -hmm. that went out at that time. Mm -hmm. And again, I never considered that I would be sitting in the seat, right? It was really through others that saw it as possible that had taken an interest. And so when they, they you know, came in and asked me about being the interim, um, I, my first question was, uh, how'd you get to that, mm -hmm. right? But it was really through all of that that, that led me here. And, and again, initially, there were so many folks excited about it because I was gonna, a bowler was going to then, you know, make bowling better. And I think we have in some ways and others we're still working on it. Uh, there's just lots of ways for us to constantly improve and that's kind of how we look at it. Mm -hmm. I, I think the one thing that we try to you know, do every day here uh, is just try to find ways to say yes instead of not doing things because, mm -hmm. but that's messy, mm -hmm. right? Because then you say yes to something and you go and you, you try to implement. If it's not perfect, then there's a critical piece to it. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I think <clears throat> bowling is so much fun. Uh, if you think about the things that make bowling successful, right, is that anybody can do it, mm -hmm. right? Young ages uh, to seniors. But then <clears throat> with each given program, you know, who do you want to listen to it is one of the toughest parts of this. But how did I get here? Uh, a lifetime of, of being within mm -hmm. the sport, having a lot of folks uh, take an interest to be able to teach me things that I didn't have inherently, mm -hmm. uh, and then just making my way through it. That's awesome. Is there a moment since you uh, sat as interim executive director um, to today that stands out as one like, like if, if you have to tell a cool story to somebody about like something you got to do or, or just something you were privileged to be audience to in that role, uh, do you have a go-to story? Yeah, I, I don't, uh, that's a good question. There's so many, yeah. right? When we went through the, the, the potential ball changes mm -hmm. and uh, we were headed down a path and you know, talking to the manufacturers and talking to the stakeholder groups. We brought a group of pro shops in. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, it was easy for me to bring a group of pro shops in, but pro shops really aren't a group that come in here uh, historically, right? Mm -hmm. That's not a group that, that we really talk to. And the pro shops that we chose, you know, it's varying size, business structures, you know, we had, you know, the devil's advocate in the room. Uh, you just think mm -hmm. about always putting the other side in the room, but where they led us from where we were headed uh, was an aha moment, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you're sitting in the room when it happens, mm -hmm. uh, and you, you know, you hit the aha, right? <laughs> and it's like, and then we went back to the manufacturers, and, and, you know, not everybody, but there was support from the manufacturers on that direction, and so we headed there, but it was really 
pro shop guys, mm -hmm. the ones that are in there every day. And, and I used to joke around the pro shop being the center of the universe in a bowling center, right? If you want to know what's going on in a bowling center, just go ask the pro shop guy, yeah. right? In some cases, there's some women getting involved in the pro shop business. Mm -hmm. You know, Carol Norman and Lisa Bishop, folks, folks like that. And so they really are the heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And so it shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody that that group would be so influential. But the junior gold group that was in was, was certainly a piece of that. Mm -hmm. um, some of the top of mind awareness things that we do, uh, you know, when you walk in uh, to a strike 10 activation and say that whatever the motor speedway up is in Kansas City and you see, you know, go bowling on the infield, you're like, oh, okay. Uh, and if you, th you think about how few dollars we really spend on that to get it, mm -hmm. um, there's just so many stories, man. And then, you know, some of it too is just like standard operating procedure from before, uh, you know, being able to, there's a lot of folks that, that think that I'm going to get enough grief that at some point in time I'll just quit. Mm -hmm. Well, stand on the stage in January when the Team USA is selected and, and wrap gold medals, you know, around, especially the first timers. Yeah. Um, there's just so many things here that are rewarding yeah. that are, are a big part of it too. That's actually a really good point because, um, you know, you bring up the putting the medals over you know medals around next and, and you know when we were downstairs talking about the wall that to me is the thing from yesterday that's actually standing out like as there's a lot of very cool things in here but that's the one right because you think about you think about the journey that somebody has to take in life to get on that wall and how many people have done it and how many people also haven't done it, right? Because they like that's kind of the pinnacle. It's happening again. I had a hair stand up on my arm every time. It's just like holy cow. So like, you talk about yeah, you you you're gonna take some punches, but also you got some gold moments like that too. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too is and I appreciate you saying that because it allows me to say this. Right. Think of all of the folks that had to help those folks get on. Exactly. That and so then you think about a USBC coaching department that has been delivering, you know, coaching tools for years. Mm -hmm. And you think about how coaching around the United States has progressed, but then also into the world. Everybody talks about how the world has caught up and they have, mm -hmm. but that was a lot of US coaches going overseas that were a part of, you know, this program. But you're talking about years. This didn't happen yesterday. It hasn't happened in my tenure. This was years ago that this governing body provided those types of things and still does. But there's just so many of those. I remember when Spencer Roadbars won the you know U12, which you know getting that U12 competition to actually get accepted in the marketplace and have mm -hmm. those you know younger kids be able to compete in peer to peers. But now look at him, right? He's Chuck Hall star tomorrow. He's a member of Team USA. He's competed, you know, it, it just is, those are the things that make it easy. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, one more thing about the role, because this is something that I really, I've in, in other contexts, this is like my favorite question to ask everybody. You take on the job and then you're a year in. What was the thing that surprised you the most? Oh my God, how wide and deep USBC is. Okay. Uh, and again, I'll, I'll drag it right back to those folks that uh, are on that wall. Mm -hmm. If you think about how it starts with the, the little kids and somebody coaching in a youth program, and then they progress, they want to get better, right? And then they start going and bowling tournaments. So you have all these certified tournaments uh, mm -hmm. across the country, right? Certified league play turns into certified tournament play. It doesn't really matter whether you come into the sport at 30 or you come into the sport at five, right? Mm -hmm. You have the same opportunities. And then you have these tournaments uh, that take place. 
And then if you're interested, you want to be a part of it, you bowl your local association, then you bowl your state association tournament. Mm -hmm. But all of these local associations across the country, I had really had no deep understanding that USBC also provides support, you know, for eleven hundred small businesses. Mm -hmm. And so that was another piece that was like, oh my gosh, are you kidding? And then the USOPC world on the governing side and how the rules have to be consistently enforced and equipment specs. But if you think about, again, how wide and deep that first year was, was incredible in actually learning uh, what I didn't know. Because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there was a, a, a long-standing understanding of a lot of it but not into the nuances mm -hmm. uh and so a year in somebody asked me they said hey what you know what was the, the big surprise on the job and i always oh, said lawyers you <laughs> <laughs> think about how much time we spend with you know uh, usbc is is constantly in that space because mm -hmm. uh, if you think about the adjudication that goes down into a, a local level yep. two people disagree mm -hmm. right somebody sends a note into rules rules gets involved interview one side interview the other sometimes it turns into to legal and then are you following the basic principles what's happened in the marketplace lately with the, the ball stuff same thing what's in the manual and are you consistently following the rules mm -hmm. and so there's a large group of people involved including legal but that went all the way back to, to kind of my, my first year really it was days into the job yeah it was like okay well who's and then you think about the oversight right that, that goes up to our board our, our business is really uh, strategically um, developed by volunteers mm -hmm. people who aren't paid a nickel mm -hmm. they raise their hands and say hey I'd like to serve mm -hmm. uh, and they sit on our board of directors and then you know the staff but I also kind of found in that space too through others that it really wasn't about what we were doing right we were taking what the people that came before us put in place trying to improve it uh, so that the next group can come in and, and do the same ah, that's a really good transition because, um, and this is for all of you on the internet that are watching, oh right? I'm gonna grab my questions here because I wanted to be really concise about this. And um, I'm just gonna, like, I, the reason I wanna be concise about it is because I feel like I've said my piece. I feel like there's more, there's probably more opinions that I could put at you and you could potentially address them, potentially not, but ultimately, um, you know, the, 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 you referenced the equipment and all that, so let's just get the elephant out, in the room, out of the room. Um, the decision is what it is, right? And, and I know that you and I have kind of talked about it in the past, where it's like the reason that you guys did the statement the way that you did is because that's everything that we could really say. Um, but my question is, you know, this is, this is kind of sourced from a few different areas, but the biggest thing that I hear um, across the world of bowling is it's not necessarily that we care at a competitive level what's in our hand. We just want it to be fair. Um, and that was probably my biggest point of contention when the decision was made where it's like, okay, um, now we have a couple weeks for the guys that had something else in their hand and now I can't. And to, in my opinion, and I've said this before, it was inherently unfair. Now, I'm not saying that you have to walk back your decision in front of me you know, or right. anything like that, because I know you're not going to. Um, what I'm curious about is, I know that you knew that that was going to be your response. What's, what was that decision-making process like? like? 
You tell me, walk, walk it, me through that. It's not as complicated as it seems, right? USBC basically has two markers, right? Competitive balance with the athletes and competitive balance with the manufacturers. Those are kind of the two marks. If you think about all the rules, we have an equipment specs manual that rolls up for the manufacturers, and then we have all these rules for, for uh, play. Mm -hmm. uh, then you have the bylaws, articles of incorporation for the organization. And so it's pretty easy to, to follow those, you know, if you believe in them. Mm -hmm. uh, which we do. Mm -hmm. And so that decision to remove it uh, when we did, knowing it, it wasn't going to be perfect, and, and after, you know, it, it's, it's inherently um, going to be criticized, mm -hmm. right? And it should be. Mm -hmm. Well, at the same time, if you look at other national governing bodies and how this works, the same thing happens there. Mm -hmm. uh, for anybody that's paying attention, pickleball is going through it right now. It happened at their U.S. Open. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the testing that goes on and the things that happen happen at these championship events. Mm -hmm. Now, interesting enough, this piece of business had really nothing to do with that tournament. Mm -hmm. uh, but there was a process that we went through, and when it became clear that uh, the decision that was made was this path, it happens whenever it happens. Mm -hmm. And so there's really not a lot to do. If you wait a week, Mm -hmm. until that championship uh, is over. Remember, there are other tournaments going on too right. that are impacted by it. Mm -hmm. And so is the Masters more important than the Open Championships? Mm -hmm. And so imagine we announce it Monday after the Masters mm -hmm. and somebody wins with one of those balls. Mm -hmm. Think about how many folks would have been critical about that decision to wait, mm -hmm. right? And so there, there, isn't a, there isn't a perfect, it's all imperfect, and so you do your best. Uh, to follow uh, what's in the manual, mm -hmm. uh, and the timing at that point just is what it is. So while it's gut-wrenching and you know what's coming, mm -hmm. right, one of my favorite quotes is, it's comforting to know that some of the things uh, that are going to happen already have, mm -hmm. right? And so when you think about that, that part wasn't as difficult as it might seem, but it was rough on the bowlers, right? The guys that were competing, and some of those folks are my friends that, that use those balls. And so you, you just know that part of it is tough. Mm -hmm. Uh, but as a governance structure, you know, once you know and it's clear, you know, you have to be decisive uh, mm -hmm. and you have to be definitive. That was actually where I was hoping we could head. So that's a great transition. Um, from a, again, from a from a consumer's perspective, um, it seemed like a very short of in a very decisive uh, piece of action. Now, in all of our talks in the last 24, 36 hours, it was very much not a short decision. Right, um, and, and that's one of the things that I really wanted to kind of highlight in this in this discussion is, like I said, the decision is what it is. It's not going backwards. Um, but I, I do want to give you, and more than just you, the entire organization, some credit on the the due diligence process because even though I still don't like the decision, um, even though I still may have disagreements with the timing, and but you're right, there's no right way to do it. Um, it, it was. It's still something that there was a lot of work put into. Can you, can you detail out? Because because a part of your job is making sure that the steps happen along the way. Like in in large phases, can you kind of detail it out to give a little more context the way that that happens? Well, I think everybody can go back and see the timing of the specter to the time of, of this piece, and, and you can see that there you know was was some time in there. Yeah, and so there there was more to it than this. That not getting into the specifics of that, you know, in the manual it calls out for a spot check. And so when a spot check takes place and then you get the results, you communicate with the manufacturer. But I don't think that 
the way that we went about it was really you know that much of an issue it was some of the misinformation that mm -hmm. was created online by some others mm -hmm. and uh, that really wasn't true there were lots of due diligence in the process as there always is there's lots of conversation back and forth uh, between the equipment specs our board the manufacturers as a whole people asking well did you test other manufacturers well, of course we did mm -hmm. right and you think about that process but that's what we so could it have been done on Thursday before the tournament we're, we're trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Could have been done on Friday, could have waited till after. At the time, it was just never going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. But there's a process to it. Unfortunately, it takes a while. Mm -hmm. uh, but to think that it all happened in a day, but I, I think that was really just created you know, by the testing that was going on at the Masters and thinking that that testing is yep. what led to this. And so people ran to that when that's not really what happened, right? right? The testing at the Masters was a urethane research test from before. None of these balls were part mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. um, all right, Internet, if that's not enough, get over it. Uh, <laughs> because I don't want to beat that dead horse. I think I just, yeah. I've, I've been over it, but if we didn't talk about it, I would get... I would be a pariah. So. And again, I would just just because you said that, I appreciate it. I brought a copy of it in. Everything's in the FAQ online. Yeah. Yep. So anybody that wants more information, but yep. also, and again, there's folks you know doing videos and stuff saying, hey, if I, my phone, it's there. Call uh, mm -hmm. customer service. We're here to answer any questions that you might have, but most of them are going to come from the FAQ. Yeah. And yep. so I think that's the. You know, we answer the phone here every day. It's an easy thing to do. We've had folks that sent in questions and we answered them and they're stunned. Mm -hmm. They're literally like, well, I can't believe that I got, but most of the answers are coming from the FAQ. Yeah. But you know, how we take in the information uh, is also important. And so there's a document that leads, you know, this information and then there's follow-up email, phone calls, however that goes. But then there's also the piece out in the social space where folks are just running to go without, and then there's speculation, mm -hmm. right? And that's just part of it too. Nobody's doing anything wrong. Mm -hmm. We just wish that, that more of it would come here so it's it's more factual. Yeah, yeah, and that's actually um, kind of where I wanted to go because one of the things that kind of got this ball rolling between you and I was the video I did back in November yeah, or yeah. whatever, right? Talking about the open and kind of my belief structure behind live streams yeah. and pattern reveals uh, being kind of the two primaries there. Um, in, in the discussion that we had yesterday, which I'm gonna do as much of an overview of that video as I can, or of that discussion as I can in a separate video. But the, the simple truth that I took from that is you're is the listening to the people that are leaving because if you if we're leave if we have more people leaving that are coming in we need to keep people in um and not necessarily like i don't, I don't necessarily want to um go too deep into that one because there's going to be more stuff on it but um that that reception of data right is really where i'm curious about because i think that that is something where if i'm a bowler I tend to flock towards the discussion forum, right? Which not necessarily gets me nowhere, but it doesn't get me somewhere nearly as productive as sending somebody an email here or calling down here. And that's something that I, I'm, I'm curious if you can give you know folks a little bit of insight on that. You know, you say I don't remember remember the number of calls and that you guys take a day, but um, 
there's a lot of stuff that goes on just to right. hear everybody out. Yeah, I mean, and again, we're it's it's part of what we do. Um, you know, in those decisions, it's easy to say. And, and a guy I worked for for a number of years, Bob Reed, used to say, "In God we trust. Everybody else bring data." <laughs> Right, and so that's where I learned it from. Right, yep. and so you think about that. So we're constantly asking and 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 listening to people. I had a conversation with a, a lady at convention last week, and she was asking questions, and I was answering them. And and she said, "Yeah, it's amazing how much you listen to the marketplace, but people don't think you do." Mm-hmm. And we're listening at all times. I mean, imagine you know four thousand between four and five thousand calls into the BIC a month. And what those questions look like, the rules department, you know, a couple thousand cases a year, uh, a couple hundred high profile, but but 2000 at, at the beginning or so. And so we're constantly doing that. But then all the surveys, membership satisfaction, open championships, women's championships, junior golf. Think about all the things we start, we're taking in information. We're thinking about ways to improve and what those folks want. But the hardest part is, right? which group are you going to listen to? Mm-hmm. Our uh, offering, our membership is so diverse and it's so wide, and you think about what they want, a high-end bowler bowling the Open Championships that, that's there for prize money and to win Eagles, when over 90% of the event isn't there to do that. Mm-hmm. and But the other 90% is financially supporting the group at the top. Mm-hmm. And so the group at the top, you know, historically has been the loudest because they, they are passionate about it and they care about it. I like to think I was part of that group at one point in time. It didn't act that much differently at that point in time. But if you want to grow, uh, you know, who do you listen to? And so that group in the middle, you know, somebody, you know, I can't remember where this one came from, but why are you always catering to the lowest common denominator? We're not. In a lot of these cases, we take this data and we follow it in uh, in terms of servicing the, the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have to govern for all, mm-hmm. right? And so that's no different at Junior Gold when we get uh, suggestions. The Open Championships got a lot of work to do on the Women's Championships. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't been as successful in growing that event. Uh, it's been better, but, but but we have some work to do there. We brought a group of uh, Women's Championships bowlers in uh, and some spent some time with them, and, and we haven't gotten to that piece yet, uh, but need to. Mm-hmm. But it's all, you know, you just have this uh, unbelievable ecosystem, a nation full of bowlers, 4,000 you know, bowling centers and people bowling every Tuesday night, every Thursday morning. Uh, and you just think about that. And so who do you want to listen to? Mm-hmm. And we try to listen to everybody uh, and then assimilate the data in a way that will give us a path forward. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. It does, yeah. And the nice part about that too is you, in our discussion yesterday, you didn't really put your own inference on pretty much anything. It was like, this is the data, right? Which the nice part about that is it's all available for for you that are curious. It's on, it, that's in the description. So just scroll down, I'll link it for you. We, we'll do all the work for you. But um, again, I, I still think that a part of that, and, and I'm still processing kind of what my, my thoughts are on the whole thing. I'm not 100% on your side quite yet, sure. if I ever get there, but um, I appreciate the fact that it's, it, again, it's it's similar to the equipment stuff. It's like there's there's just so much of this work that goes into it and so many people that touch it and that really care about it is really the thing that I really wanted to highlight because from an outside perspective, you know, when you live a couple thousand miles away, it's really hard to have that context. And I'm sure even from here, it's really hard to communicate the amount of context that goes into it. 
Um, but it is important. It's important for people to know the amount of work that does go into that decision-making process, the number of people that actually get to touch it before it happens, that sort of thing. If I could, two more things there, right? The social media has changed the world, right? You yeah. think about the information. We, we learn a lot of things by listening to social media, mm -hmm. too. And, and that's going to be a rallying cry now for some folks to, you know, keep doing what they're doing. But at the same time, uh, we, we listen there, too. Uh, but the, the kind of, you know, fascinating piece about how you started this and where we're at today, like, and I want to go back to when I was the interim. So Chad Murphy, the bowler, mm -hmm. uh, would likely have never supported a third division at the Open Championships. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you had all these folks that said, okay, a bowler's getting in that spot. He's going to support the bowlers. And so to those folks now, even by adding a third division, I look like a traitor. Mm -hmm. Right. But the thing that everybody has to understand is it's not about Chad Murphy, the bowler. It's not about any one individual bowler. It's about all of the bowlers. And so when you get on the business side of it and you say, it could be said, well, how do I support the highest end bowlers that I can? And that would be by growing the tournament in the middle, mm -hmm. right? But it doesn't necessarily translate to that. Mm -hmm. And so there's this big piece, but how could he do that? He never believed that before he was sitting in that seat, but yet it's so obvious that that's where the, the tournament needed to go. Mm -hmm. And so I hope that makes sense mm -hmm. if you really think about it in those terms. but. It also isn't about, about any one person. Uh, yeah, I'm sitting in the seat, but and it's nice that the you know arrows come my way, and not at the rest of our staff. But there's so many folks involved in this, including all the stakeholder groups that we bring in, mm -hmm. and people are really critical that we're not transparent about those people that sit in the room. Well, imagine what happens to me in the space, right. and now we're doing it to volunteers. Would we ever have volunteers volunteering for that behavior in the future? Right, right, so, yeah. And I, I joke around all the time, folks want us to be more transparent, and we are. If you look at the way we operated this business 10 years ago and the way we do it today, there's a lot of things that we've improved. The minutes of our board meeting are our line, the annual report, state of the association in the middle of the year. There's all of these things that we are doing more in, in being transparent. But in most cases, all that does is for people to want more, mm -hmm. right? And so we just do our best. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a step in the right direction, right? But sometimes when you when you see that movement, then it's like, all right, how do we jump? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I can. And some I can folks that want the that. transparency, if they actually got some of the things they wanted, they'd realize, well, I wish they hadn't done that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, all right, so this is another thing that um, I think that. Because of because it being a, a, a relatively vague piece of marketing um, can sometimes be something that people just like they just infer their own opinions on it and right because USBC a future for the sport right and I, and I, I I like it as a tagline but it is very wide open you know when you when you think about the diversity of the market like if you're if you're trying to say okay it's a future for the sport for a million people. That can mean a lot of different things. Right. To Chad Murphy, what does a future for the sport mean? Well, I think it goes back to that development ladder that I talked about earlier. And so more honing in on that ladder, ladder and having something for the little kids and then the next group up and then maintaining some of the great programs that we have in junior gold, uh, but also you know the, the top of the youth chain. Uh, is the collegiate division. Mm -hmm. And even though NCAA and NAI have come in, it's been wonderful for bowling. Um, ours is kind of the melting pot of those programs. And then also um, NJCAA and then all the club 
uh, groups and there's even a club championship now right and so that world has gotten more diverse but if you think about that ladder ladder and then how do they step into adult leagues mm -hmm. and how do they step into the open championships or a usbc state uh, tournament or a usbc local tournament uh, I said this at convention last week. I love this time of year because you think about everything that's going on in the field at this time of the year. Uh, our national tournaments, of course, are booming, and PWBA is part of that. And so you think about that loop, and then all the way through to the professional ranks. Not everybody's going to get there, mm -hmm. right? But that's the truest part of the sport, right, is the PBA and the PWBA. But the idea that we have 50,000 people going the Open Championships and competing for Eagles there is a piece of it, too. Mm -hmm. And so really, a future for the sport means support uh, through that development ladder, through the entire ecosystem, so we have something for everybody. Uh, whatever they choose mm -hmm. um, and so that's very different for an 86 year old woman or, or, or man that's bowling in a senior league at 10 a.m. on Thursday than it is for Shannon O'Keefe mm -hmm. right and but but we have to be there mm -hmm. and then also as part of it uh, is protecting it through the governance mm -hmm. and so moving from that development ladder over having rules having standards of play having equipment specs to balance the manufacturers all of that kind of fits into this, you know, smash burger, if you will, mm -hmm. right? And you just mm -hmm. think about that. What does it look like? Mm -hmm. And um, so for me, it's just turning all of the dials enough to make sure that we're supporting. There's a lot of folks that say we've given up on leagues. Mm -hmm. And it's really not true uh, if you think about all the support that, that we do for leagues here. Uh, but in a lot of cases, people don't see it until it happens to them, mm -hmm. right? And that's the hardest part. But a future for this work for me is just being able to impact the dials in a way so that uh, all those million bowlers uh, can enjoy this sport in a way that makes sense to them. And some of them, it just may be family and friends. It may be a grandfather taking a son bowling or a grandmother taking a grandson or granddaughter bowling. Mm -hmm. uh, bringing PWBA back was a big piece of that, where there were lots of folks that said, hey, why are you spending money, you know, membership money to bring PWBA back? And and a lot of folks believe that it was about Shannon O'Keefe and, and Steph Johnson, and it, and it was, but but it was when they were seven. <laughs> right. Right? <laughs> right. And so when you think about that, I mean, if we want those little girls that are in our bowling centers to want to be Mia Hamm, Mm -hmm. uh, we can do that, but if they we want them to be, you know, Brianna Cote, we can do that too. Right. And I think that's the hardest part of this. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's about um, being able to have folks uh, experience this uh, for what they would like it to be, mm -hmm. and that means a lot of different things. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And it's it's because it's the one sport that I can think of that has that much variety in the, in a competitive landscape. Um, in, in doing so on the same playing field, yeah, uh, for the most part. And it, it, to your point, I mean, but what does a five-year-old want, a fifteen-year-old want, a thirty-five-year-old want, a sixty-year-old? And yeah, who services that? Mm -hmm. What we're doing here uh, is just servicing the, the locals, right? The mm -hmm. locals, but that bowling center, those four walls, wherever it is, that's where it all happens. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, we have a, a national tournament that things happen there and we support it. It's a big fundraiser for the organization. So the dollars go back to do these other things like PWBA tournaments. But at the same time, all of this happens locally. And so can we help uh, educate coaches? Yep. Yeah, can we help uh, educate youth directors? Can we uh, help run better program? Or do we just trust the folks in the field to be out there and do it and take the resources when they're here? 
uh, but it's all just about servicing, you know, when I came in, there was a lot of talk, local, state, national, bowling center, right? It's one association, there aren't multiple associations here, right? We're here servicing a, a membership to just try to build uh, and evolve and improve. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, this, we'll change the pace a little bit, because I'm curious. This is my favorite question that I ask everybody that I ever talk to. Uh, you, and you've actually referenced him a couple times in 25-year-old Chad Murphy. Um, if you had to give a piece of advice to 25-year-old Chad Murphy today, what would it be? Uh, today sets up tomorrow. Because okay. uh, I think I knew that at that time. If you think about who I was at that time and the way I operated, I cared about uh, probably one thing, which was whether my ball was striking. Uh, but I had no idea that some of these other things were going to be things that I, I was doing. But I say it to my kids all the time. Uh, I ask them, you know, every day when they can, hey, what did you learn today? Mm -hmm. uh, and that was something that I wish I would have been doing at the time. Amazingly, I was learning and listening and paying attention, but I didn't really know what I was doing at that time. So I think the message there is that, hey, today uh, is really setting up tomorrow. And it's not as much about what's happening right now. Is if our, is what we're doing today in the best interest of, of tomorrow? And at 25, I, I did not have a comprehension of that. Uh, 22, I didn't have a comprehension of that. Probably didn't even really think about it too much till I met my wife. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, that's a that's a good segue because you talk about today sets up tomorrow, um, and that is that was actually where I was kind of hoping to end finish this conversation. What are you What are you looking forward to? What's you know, I don't know if you can necessarily what's coming on the pipeline here or even just for yourself, you know, kind of what you're excited about uh, yeah. and what's going on. What's, what's, what, what can we look forward to? I'm excited right now about PWBA kicking off this yeah. weekend. Yeah, uh, sure. It's been a while and I'm looking forward to seeing them, but then also thinking about what that looks like 10 years from now mm -hmm. as opposed to just today. Mm -hmm. um, this, you know, this entire summer, we've got a program we're launching in the youth area at Bull Expo that I'm very excited about uh, and I think will be great uh, for the marketplace. Our friends at BPA are looking at a league activation. We're kind of doing it collectively uh, that I'm excited about. Um, and then, but again, what, what does it mean, you know, next year and the following year? Uh, all of these things evolve over time. Uh, people like me come and go, and if you think about that um, and how that works, uh, I'm just excited about continuing to try to figure out ways to, to help this, you know, sport. And, and again, I didn't say this company, this uh, association, this business, but just continuing to find a way to help the sport improve. There's so many outside forces that are impacting the sport uh, and putting it into some cases of decline, even though we're growing in some of the program areas. Mm -hmm. Right, and so you know, what can we do in the next you know few weeks and months to plan for something next year? Because uh, we already know what we're doing this year, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we really kind of shifted uh, things through COVID. I'm excited to be uh, closer to the end of that. Yeah, for uh, sure. In the beginning, and yeah. so um, really, what's next mm -hmm. is is what we're thinking about now. Yeah, no, that's, that's exciting. I, I, that's it was a very good segue to think about today sets up tomorrow for sure. So. Um, last thing that I want to say, and this is maybe, maybe this is just me talking to the audience that's listening. Um, I walked into this week, um, thinking that we would have more active disagreements than we did. 
you know, because I, I tend to be a, a relatively disagreeable person on things that I have opinions about, and I'm typically not I'm not afraid to say them, uh, and I and I feel like I've voiced everything uh, in terms of concerns, and um, I just want to give you some credit in actually re receiving them very well um, and answering the questions that me and my friend Nick uh, have had, um, you know, maybe not necessarily f you know forcing us to shape our opinions around what's happening and all that. And like trying to get us all on the same page, um, but it was it was it, I, I've been very uh, thankful for how this everything has gone. So thank you very much. Um, you know, like, like you kind of said before, there are there are vehicles for people to communicate with you and with the organization on what it is that they would like to see. I would encourage you all to do that um, because. My experience has said in the last couple days here that you'll listen. Maybe not necessarily shape the entire organization around what somebody's opinion is, but at the very least, it'll be heard. Um, so I really, I do, I, I want to give you a lot of credit on that and, and appreciate that because um, I've played a lot of different sports, and um, you know, I, maybe I don't love uh, any of them quite as much as I love bowling, but I don't know any of the other sports that listen quite as much as we do. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad that you were able to kind of illustrate that, so thank you very much. Can I just say one thing to yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. It's okay to disagree, right? Mm -hmm. uh, as a contrarian, you know, in nature too, mm -hmm. uh, the way things improve is to look at something and, and say, okay, well, I don't like this about it, and then to try to make it better. Mm -hmm. And so if you're willing to take that in from everywhere, it can get confusing. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, we're willing to do it because we know it's imperfect. Yep. And so, uh, you never know where it's going to come from, mm -hmm. uh, and so if you think about that, um, eight eight one seven eight one nine seven seven zero four. We we answering. I even answer the spam calls because I don't know if it's a number <laughs> call. Uh, that's how much we answer the phone around. Here. Yeah, it really is that easy. Yeah, and so we're just always available. Every time I see somebody in a video or, or on Facebook uh, that says, "Well, I have some questions to ask," and and, and I think. Okay, well, I'm just going to wait here yep. for the phone to ring because it's yep. the easiest way to get the answers. Yep. But at the same time, don't feel like when you're making a call that you can't disagree. Right. Right? right. Because there's likely to be improvement from that, even if it's just in an information exchange. Mm -hmm. And so I just think it's it's inherent. And so I appreciate you doing it. When we were in the room yesterday, right, mm -hmm. I felt confident in going through the information we were giving you, not because we were going to convince you mm -hmm. that you were just going to be better informed. Mm -hmm. And not like you were misinformed. It was an opinion that you had. Mm -hmm. All of these things. Who's the expert? And where does it come from? Mm -hmm. No different than that story I told about the pro shops. Yep. Right? They yep. put us on a completely different path. Mm -hmm. But we were willing to take it in. Yep. And, and the biggest part of this is are you willing to communicate, mm -hmm. right? Because it's one thing to go out on the internet and just, you know, cause a little bit of trouble. <laughs> it's a whole other, other thing to be able to raise a hand and get involved. Mm -hmm. A lot of these great things come from people that maybe didn't agree in the beginning, but then decided to get in and change things from the inside mm -hmm. instead of throwing stones from the outside. Yeah, and, for sure. Um, we're willing to do it. We're yeah. willing to engage and have the dialogue. So I appreciate you guys making the trip. Yeah. It's not everybody that's willing to do that. When I sent the email, we didn't know where you were coming. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really it's funny how when we invited you to be here, right, it was before any of the, mm -hmm. you know, kind of messy things happened in the marketplace.
place, but yet you're still here and you're still yeah. willing to come. Yeah, no, I'm excited that we got to come. Uh, it was a very, really, it was a, it was a very awesome trip uh, to be able to see everything that's here. Um, I would recommend anybody that can come down here, come see it. There's a lot of cool stuff that happens down here. So, um, Chad Murphy, thanks, man. Thank you very much. Appreciate I really it. appreciate it. Thanks, man.